All right. So, as promised, we have Daryl Smith, Dr. Daryl Smith here with us today, and he's going to come and speak to us on what we do as a uh, response to Jesus reaching for us. So, Dr. Smith, come on up. Thank you very much, and uh, good to see a smaller crowd came when I spoke, so the people were wise. Well, in the next few minutes, I want to hang out with you and just share some things the Lord has taught me in my life, and then when I'm done, I, I realize myself and a song or two are the only thing standing between you and Perfect North and, and tubing, so I will try to watch my time carefully. I was very pleased when I saw snow on the ground this morning. Hopefully, that'll give you some good tubing over there. And you guys had on some killer tubing stuff last night, so good job. They were ready for it. Hey, uh, let's pray, and then uh, I'll get started. <coughs> uh, dear God, thank you we can be here today. There's people in the world right now who cannot gather like this. Thank you that we can, and I pray you'd speak to me through your uh, through your Holy Spirit, I'm a very flawed person, Lord. I pray you'd speak through me, and uh, you'd be glorified. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Uh, before I talk to you about uh, the main thing I want to talk to you about, I, I just want to tell you that I feel for you, and if you could throw up the first slide, and I'm being sincere with this, um, relative to your lifetimes and my lifetime, we're living in some hard times right now in America, comparatively. Uh, and I just want you to know I feel for you. Um, there's the normal peer pressure of being a teenager, uh, people encouraging you to do things that aren't good for you. Uh, feeling sometimes like you're weird if you're following God, because most people aren't, especially most teenagers. Um, the coronavirus, we've been isolated from each other. Uh, this is how weird it's gotten. I, now when I see somebody without a mask, I kind of go, <gasps> I don't have a mask on. <laughs> right? it's, isn't that weird? Right? Um, with the racial unrest in our nation and the political unrest. Um, you know, I, I got to admit, it's unsettling to me as an adult to pe see people storm federal buildings and try to burn them down, see people storm capitals. And, and that makes me uneasy as an adult. And if you're following news, I can only imagine as a teenager how you're feeling about it. And it's very unsettling, it's very disconcerting. And I want you to know if you're feeling lonely or isolated or even a little depressed, because I've been fighting a little depression the last few weeks, 
Um, you're not alone. Um, God is still in control. There, last I checked, we're breathing oxygen this morning, right? We would not breathe oxygen if God didn't have gravity in place. The sun came up today, even though it was behind the clouds. Not one human being had anything to do with the sun coming up today or oxygen being here or gravity still working. So those things are signals from God. He's still there, still in control. Okay. Our problem as a country is we've turned our back on him and we think we're too smart for him and we've got it figured out and we're enlightened now and we don't need him. And we're paying the consequences right now for that. So, but I, I, I want you, you guys are here seeking God. So I want to encourage you in that. I want you to know He loves you. And if you ever doubt that, uh, just think of the blood running down His hands and His feet when He died for us. And there's people in this room that love you and care about you. And so if you're feeling really down or depressed, you know, talk to one of your leaders or talk to one of your friends. It helps to just talk to somebody. I had a I chatted with a friend yesterday for 30 minutes on Zoom just because we were both kind of struggling a little bit. And it was good to talk to somebody else. So I want to encourage you in that. And then finally, one of the wildest guys I ever met, didn't really meet him, heard him speak. He was 90 years old. And right after his speech, the next day, he was going to get on his motorcycle Dude's 90, right? And he was going to ride from Ohio to Alaska on his motorcycle. <laughs> I was like, this dude's 90. He's going to ride to Alaska on a motorcycle, right? But it was, it was very fascinating. He had fought in World War II. Um, do you guys, anybody of you guys remember Norris Pickens? You guys remember Norris? Norris rode on my motorcycle too. Maybe it keeps you young. I like my legs too much to ride motorcycles. But um, anyway, this guy was going to ride to Alaska. And he had fought in World War II. And I'll never forget this. He said, I think the reason we won World War II is the soldiers, the boys who fought the war, grew up during the Depression. So they knew what sacrifice and hardship was all about. And because they knew what sacrifice and hardship was all about, they were able to fight World War II. My concern for me and for you is we don't know much about hardship anymore. And so when times like this come, it can be very overwhelming. Right? Um, if you go to Calvary Baptist, I know some of you don't, there's a missionary we support over in Togo. And uh, I might get choked up, sorry. They are a, a physician uh, assistant and his wife and their four kids, Spencer Benefield's cousins, if you know Spencer. And uh, about five years ago, their, uh, <clears throat> the dad died in, in Togo. He had a rare disease, and he died. And his wife and their four kids decided to stay in Togo to keep
keep working at the hospital where they work at to give medical care. Uh, many of you know Brenda Mastin and Louie. Um, they work over there. And uh, they're there to give people medical care and to tell them the news that Timmy shared with you last night. And even after the dad died, uh, the rest of the family stayed there. And the widow said, this is her mantra, she says, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. And um, if you feel like you're suffering right now, I want you to know God can use that in your life to refine you, and he can use suffering in my life and refine us, and refine me. Uh, but we don't, and especially in America and the church, we don't want any suffering. And so don't waste your suffering. God can use it in your life. That's my encouragement to you. Let me tell you how the world looks at the coronavirus. This is a note I got from my professor. I went to the University of Washington, and my professor... He was quite well-known in the academic world. You know, the funny thing about being well-known in the academic world, nobody knows you outside of the academic world. <laughs> but he's well-known in the academic world. But here's the title of his Christmas letter. Goodbye and good riddance to 2020. Bring on 2021. Uh, he said, we went to California, blah, blah, blah. We escaped March 1st and got back to Seattle March 4th, just in time. You know the rest, lockdown. I'm only halfway through my second tank of gas. Um, let's see, Amazon is our best friends. We have a puzzle table and location for crafts and model building. Uh, blah, blah. Basically, they haven't hardly gotten out of their house in nine months. Here's his, how he closes his letter. Bring on the vaccines, okay? So if you don't know God and suffering comes and hard times comes, here's your response. Let's put 2020 behind us. Let's pretend it didn't happen. Give me a vaccine and let's go on with life. That's how someone who doesn't know God reacts to the coronavirus, right? For those of us who know Christ... Let's not waste our suffering. God is doing something through this. Okay? Well, that's my intro. I'm about out of time. <laughs> All right, I want everybody to stand up. Ugh. Stretch. Ugh, there we go. Dr. Hickey, good to see you. You're you going to do some tubing today? I'm ready. All right. I'm a professor. I know you can't sit that long. So, all right, you can sit back down now. Uh, let's see if this clicker works. What do you think? You think it's going to work? How many people think it's going to work? Raise your hand. Okay, most people don't think it's going to work. Let's count it down from five. Five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year. Whoa, Happy New Year. <laughs> all right. Hey, quick review of last night, the gospel. What is the good news? That God is righteous and he made everything. The bad news is people, humans like us, we rebelled and it separated us from God. Nothing we can do to fix that, so God fixed it himself. He put on flesh. He put on skin and he came to earth as a baby. He grew up, he lived a perfect life. 
Again, we humans are so cruel. You know what we did to the only perfect human being ever? We killed him on a cross. But Jesus died to pay the penalty that you and I deserve. How do we get the forgiveness he's offering? We got to turn from following ourselves. You know, my, I'm the, I love to follow myself. I love to do what I want to do, right? Uh, but we got to turn from following ourselves, accept the gift Jesus is offering by faith. Say, Lord, please forgive me. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. I commit my life to you. Um, this is a very important weekend. I was talking to my insurance guy yesterday. Some of you may know him, Tanner Cox. And I told him I was going to be on winter advance. And he goes, no way. He goes, I met Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior at Winter Advance. I said, really? He goes, yep, 2012, Winter Advance, I accepted Christ as my Savior. This weekend is so important. You know, Timmy, who spoke last night, he was supposed to go to Colorado yesterday to be with his family for a delayed Christmas. He delayed his trip for one day so he could be with you guys last night. So this is important stuff we're talking about. Okay, um, Okay. I'm going to tell you lots of stories over the next week, or, or the next few minutes, uh, but hopefully they will, uh, you'll get something out of it. You think the clicker will work twice? It did? I was afraid to look. Okay. Uh, I spoke in youth group about nine months ago, and I talked about the big picture is we are created for God's glory. And when we glorify God, it's um, for our good. So uh, let's say I took a baseball bat. I was talking to Alex beforehand here. He's a baseball player. Let's say I took a baseball bat and went out to uh, the golf course and played a round of golf with a baseball bat. probably wouldn't play golf that well, okay? Because a baseball bat is not designed to play golf with. It's designed to play baseball with, right? We are designed to give God glory. When we give Him glory, it's for our own good, right? When we don't give Him glory, it's like being a baseball bat and we're using it for golf. We're using our bodies for something that God doesn't intend, right? So humans that don't know God can have a man-centered view. Hey, what's important? That I'm happy, that I don't have any problems in life, that life is pretty easy. That's your goal if you don't know God. Right? Your, God if you're, your goal if you do know God is to glorify Him because you know that that's ultimately what is most good for you. Right? <clears throat> that's my dad in the 70s. I wanted some sideburns so bad like that when I was a kid. So at Christmas, I grew some. Yeah, I call them the Christmas chops. I love those babies, right? Uh, but my dad went to heaven on April the 7th. And a lot of times, just before people die, people will say, what were their last words? And unfortunately, I don't know my dad's last words because... We couldn't be with him because of COVID, okay? Ah, 
But Jesus knew he was going to die, and he did. He told his disciples that. And when he rose again, just before he went back to heaven, he told his disciples his last words. And here they are. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, If you go to Calvary Baptist Church, and if you don't, that's fine, but at Calvary Baptist, we have a missions conference every year, and we go over this verse a lot. And as you know, we send missionaries all over the world to make disciples because that's the last thing Jesus told us to do. But how do you and I, we're not in Togo with Brenda, right? We're in northern Kentucky. How do we make disciples? That's what I want to talk to you about today. When there's good news, we want to celebrate. So when I, back in the day, the Cincinnati Reds, They used to uh, dominate baseball. It was great growing up in the 70s with the Reds. And when I was 10 years old, they were in the playoffs, and they were playing the Pirates. And it was the last game. The Pirates had won the World Series the year before. They were really good. It was game five of the playoffs, best of five. They each won two games, and the Reds were losing. The Reds were losing. The Reds were losing. I was so scared. I went to the bathroom. And I stayed in the bathroom for 40 minutes because I was too nervous to watch the game. And I thought maybe if I was in the bathroom, they'd do better. And when I came out 40 minutes later, (laughs) they were still losing. (laughs) And it came down to the ninth inning. And Johnny Bench got up. And the Reds were behind by one run. And Johnny Bench took a golf club. No, he didn't take a golf club. He took a baseball bat, and he went to bat, and he hit a home run over the right field fence. Ah, I was jumping around in my family room. Ah, game's tied. Ah, right. And then the Reds get a bunch of players on base, and a substitute named George Foster was on third base, and the Pirates pitcher winds that wound up for the pitch, checks third base, throws the ball. Throws it in the dirt. It bounces over the catcher's head. George Foster runs home. And the Reds won the playoff. And that's a picture of it. That's Pete Rose grabbing George Foster. That's Alex Gramas, the coach, with his arms up. And that's the Pittsburgh pitcher walking off who just threw the wild pitch. And it was so exciting. Everybody in my neighborhood, we spilled out onto the streets and started celebrating. All the kids, we started hugging each other. And we started playing wiffle ball, and we just had a great celebration because of this good news. When we have good news, we celebrate, right? Uh, when we have good news, we want to share the good news, right? Why are you guys laughing? So when I, just out of college, right, there was a very famous saxophone player named Kenny G., you've ever seen the Cars movie, when they're driving along and they're trying to put uh, Mac to sleep, they start playing that Kenny G music, and Mac goes to sleep, right, in the Cars movie, right? So, I was going to go to this Kenny G concert, 
Then I found out it cost 20 bucks. I was like, that's ridiculous. I can buy this CD for 12. I'm not going to the Kenny G concert for 20 bucks. So I was supposed to go with this girl named Michelle. I said, I'm not going. It's 20 bucks. She said, okay. So at the last minute, I changed my mind. And I drove down there. I was going to call Michelle, but I was afraid if I called her, she'd get mad because I was telling her at the last minute. So I went up. I bought the ticket. I could hear the music playing already in the concert. And I bought the ticket, and the lady said, you can't go in. I said, what do you mean I can't go in? She goes, you can't go in. I said, well, I got a ticket. She goes, you can't go in. I said, why not? She goes, because the concert doesn't start for an hour. I said, well, what's the music? She goes, oh, that's just a CD we're playing. I'm like, oh, okay. So I waited for an hour. Should I call Michelle? Should I call Michelle? Ladies, should I have called Michelle? I didn't. How do you think Michelle felt later? Yeah, it, it was not good. It was not good. There's a reason my wife's name is not Michelle. Okay. Right? So I went to the concert an hour later, and I sat in the back row by myself. And it was a great concert, man. He came out in the crowd. He was playing in the crowd. He was a very talented musician. And after the concert was over, I just wanted to tell somebody, man, what a great concert. I just wanted to tell him what a great concert it was. But I couldn't tell Michelle. And I didn't have anybody else to tell because I was there by myself with about a thousand other people, right? But I wanted to tell somebody, right? So how come, I have to ask myself, how come I get excited to celebrate the Reds winning and I get excited about telling somebody about this concert, but I don't always get excited about telling them about the good news about Jesus? It's kind of a disconnect, right? Why, why is that? And I think there's a couple reasons, and you might be able to identify with this. Uh, often we don't share the good news and, and, and we'll feel bad inside that we don't, right? I, I think three reasons I can think of we don't share the, the good news is the good news comes with bad news, right? Timmy talked about that last night. We we're very sinful. Nobody wants to hear that they're sinful, right? Um, when I go to the doctor, you know what I want the doctor to tell me? You're in great health, Mr. Smith. I don't want him to tell me, oh, I think you have pneumonia. I don't want him to tell me that. But you know what? If I actually have pneumonia, I do want him to tell me that because then he can put me on antibiotics and then I can get well, right? But in America particularly, we don't want to hear any bad news. And so to tell people that they've sinned, people don't really want to hear that. Secondly, people sometimes disagree with us. Let's say when the Reds won the playoff, against the pirates, I went out in the street and started celebrating and I looked over and my best friend Jimmy was a Pittsburgh Pirate fan. Then it'd be kind of like, oh, sorry Jimmy. Uh. <laughs> right? And so that's how it is with the gospel. Sometimes we'll share the gospel and people say, I don't believe that or I don't like that, right? And it makes us feel um, strange, right? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, and sometimes it just feels uncomfortable and awkward because it's not something we talk about a lot, right? So picture you're, you're, you're with a friend, um, 
Try this at, at Perfect North today. Go into the lodge and sit down with somebody and say, hey, would you like to talk about uh, third century Byzantine history with me? You'd be like, what? Huh? What? Right? But if you went up and you said, hey, who do you think is going to win the, uh, the Chiefs game tonight? They'd probably go, oh, well, I think the Chiefs are going to win. Right? Or they might be crazy and think the Browns are going to win. You know? Who knows? Right? They are. Notice he said this year. <laughs> right? 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 But they are. They're, and I'm happy for them. Right? But you see why it can be awkward, right? It's because we're used to talking about the chiefs, but we're not used to talking about third century Byzantine history, and we're not, people aren't used to talking about God. So it can be awkward. Right? Let me give you a quick history of how people your age have been reached for Christ in the United States since the 1940s. Uh, there was an organization called Youth for Christ. Now, if you go to Calvary Baptist, and I'm sorry I keep bringing up Calvary for those who don't go here, but there was a very famous pastor here uh, in the uh, 60s named Warren Wiersbe. And this is him. He wrote an autobiography. And you say, this guy looks like an old guy. And you're right. He got even older after this picture was taken. All right? But at one time, believe it or not, he was your age. And this is what he writes about when he was in your age. He said, uh, adults were frustrated in their attempts to evangelize teenagers. Many pastors and church leaders were asking, why can't what happened in Chicago happen in our own city? Because what had happened in Chicago was a bunch of teenagers started becoming Christians. And so word started getting around. They're like, how come that can't happen in our town? And he goes on to talk about some adults in his church decided to do something about it. And they decided to hold a Youth for Christ rally in his town. Youth for Christ is kind of like Young Life. And they would hold these rallies, and they invited Warren Wearsby. He was 13. They invited him to be an usher at the Youth for Christ rally because he was a church kid. So he went to be an usher, and as he was standing in the back, he heard the gospel. Now, he's an usher at this thing, right? He heard the gospel, and he realized, I'm not even a Christian. I've never accepted Christ. And that is where Warren Wiersbe became a Christian at a Youth for Christ rally, right? Went on to become the pastor here later on. Youth for Christ was so popular in the 40s and 50s, Chicago Bears play in Soldier Field, right? 1945, they held a Youth for Christ rally in Soldier Field. 70,000 teenagers showed up. 70,000 teenagers showed up. And about 6,000 teenagers accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior that day. Wouldn't that be great if we packed out Great American Ballpark or Paul Brown Stadium? With 50,000 teenagers? That would be so cool. Uh, one of the early Youth for Christ speakers was a guy named Billy Graham. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, his uh, Operation Shoebox, or what's that called? Operation Christmas Child, yeah. His, uh, 
His son runs that ministry, okay? But people would come by the thousands to hear him, hear him preach. So what about Calvary Baptist? Uh, when was Ignite established? I'm going to say, I hope so. I hope you know because it's on the walls. You guys are in Warren Wiersbe's autobiography. Okay. A guy named Cedric Whitcomb from West Virginia. This is what Warren Wiersbe says. Cedric and Jean, that was Cedric's wife, spent Thanksgiving week with us in Covington that year, and Cedric preached at the evening service on November 25th. It was no secret that they were getting acquainted with the church and the church with them. It wasn't until a year later, January 16, 1963, that we were able to issue a call and they were free to respond. They moved to Covington in June of 1963 and we had five and a half wonderful years serving together. That's where Ignite started, 1963, with a guy named Cedric Whitcomb. Now, some of you that grew up in Awana might know Pat Bradford. She was a Sparky leader. And some of you know who Brian Henderson is. He'll play the piano in the lobby sometimes. Okay. Pat Bradford was like these guys, like Rochelle. She was a, one of the first youth leaders with Cedric. And Brian was a teenager in the youth group. Right? And... Um, Here's what they would do. They were so serious about sharing the gospel, they would get on a bus, and they would drive it somewhere in Covington, and they'd say, okay, get off the bus, and you can't get back on until you've talked to somebody about Jesus. We're going to start that program? <laughs> okay. Now, you might say, oh my gosh, that sounds so weird. Now, it was a little different time. People talked to strangers more than they do now, and people talked on the streets more than they do now. But that's how, that's how Ignite got out the gospel in the 1960s. Okay? I'm not saying you have to do that now. I'm just telling you that's what they did then. Uh, a guy on the right named Bill Bright and his wife, Vonette, they started ministry at UCLA, the Bruins, out in the 1960s, and they started seeing... Hundreds of college students come to Christ. Now it's called Crew. You might meet somebody that runs Crew. Um, Crew ignited something among hippies in the 1970s called the Jesus Movement. And thousands of hippies who had gone to California to drop out and cool out actually found real life in Jesus Christ. They went out there looking for marijuana. They looked for surfing. They looked for the counterculture, and they ended up coming to Christ through what became known as the Jesus Movement. And it really kind of wigged churches out because all of a sudden, almost everybody had hair like mine back in that day. All of a sudden, these guys started showing up in church with really long hair, and they're like, <clears throat> and, and you want to play a guitar? <laughs> what? Right? It was really odd, but it was great. These thousands of people were coming to know Jesus. Uh, Young Life got started at that time. Calvary Baptists. Who went on the missions trip a couple years ago with the Duvalls? 
One, two, three. All right. So you know the funeral home right over there? Some of you parked next to that funeral home because I saw your cars. All right. There used to be a house where that parking lot was. And Jeff Duvall's dad lived in that house. And he would start good news clubs all over Covington. Invite teenagers to come to hear the gospel. They would have these club meetings in people's houses. All started from that parking lot right over there next to the funeral home. Okay. So, what am I trying to show you from this? There's one way to heaven, that's Jesus. Okay. Um, there's a thousand on-ramps. We had a guest speaker back at our missions conference in 2017. I'm forgetting his name. He was from Sailor Church in Iowa. But he said, one way to heaven, but a thousand on-ramps. People come, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through the gospel. But people learn about the gospel hundreds of different ways. One of them may be from you guys. This all kind of peaked in 1976. Time magazine called it the year of the evangelical. Evangelism explosion started after that. We ran this program in this church, a guy named Mike Ackerson and his wife, Linda, many of you know them, were very involved with Evangelism Explosion, okay? But then starting in the 1980s, I found that the church, and when I say the church, I'm talking about Christians and churches, we're all around there. I think we started getting satisfied. There was lots of, of Christ followers in America, and we're like, wow, let's start getting into Bible studies. And it seemed like all we started doing then was studying the Bible and we stopped sharing the gospel. So how can you do that now? I'm going to tell you, but you have to stand up first and stretch your legs. That's interesting. You would have a Chicago shirt when I talked about Soldier Field. Did you get kicked out of Chicago? Okay, her shirt says straight out of Chicago. I just wondered. Anybody here been kicked out of Chicago? Yeah. All right, all right. Just a couple of you. All right. All right, almost done, folks. You can sit back down. So um, I became a Christian when I was 10. And people told me I should share the gospel. But nobody ever told me how to share the gospel. And I moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 1976. I was a freshman in high school. And I went to a church where they actually, the youth group taught us how to share the gospel. And we used something called the Romans Road. It's just one technique. And sometimes we would literally go door to door, total stranger's house, knock on the door and invite them to church and chat with them and ask them if they knew if they were going to heaven when they died and if they wanted to talk we would share the gospel and if they didn't want to talk we didn't share the gospel and that's what we did um so that's how i first became exposed to this um how you can do it now uh number one look listen and ask questions um there's a super cool store in tacoma washington called Trickies. Uh, you can ask Brent about it. They sell really cool things, uh, a lot of superhero stuff, and we usually go to Trickies every time we go out there. 
And one day, the guy who owns the store, whose name is Tricky, thank you, glad you're with me, he said something like, isn't the world going downhill quickly or something like that? Here's where you have to look and listen. So here's what I said. I said, Tricky, I said, why do you think that is? Trying to get him to think, right? Well, he didn't want to talk. He goes, oh, I don't know. And he kept about his business. Well, I tried. Asking people questions is a really good way to get them to start thinking about the gospel. Why do you think the world's going downhill? Right? Number two, uh, I was having lunch with my friend named Clark, and my friend Clark, it's kind of gory, excuse me just a second here, but he was working on a highway project, and a guy saw, went out of control, and it decapitated the guy. He's telling me about this. It's heavy, right? And I said to him, I said, Clark, I said, if that would have happened to you, would you have been ready to meet God? And that led into a 30-minute conversation, okay? And we had a really good chat about the gospel. But just listening and asking questions can go a long way. Another good way to share the gospel is to be a, a true friend to someone, all right? There's a verse in the Bible that says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Um, it's, it's a struggle as Christians to live in the world, right? Because we don't want to do some of the things our friends are doing, but we don't, don't want to totally separate from them either. So my senior year of high school, I was a basketball player, and after the basketball games, we would go all go to McDonald's on Dream Street in Florence. If those who know Happy Days, it was like Arnold's. Was your parents at, at, on Dream Street with me? Okay. There were so many teenagers at McDonald's on Friday night, you couldn't even get a booth. It was just crazy, right? So I would go and hang out with my friends, and then they would go off and go to their parties, and I would drive home because I wasn't going to go to the party with them. I wanted to hang out with them, but I wasn't going to go to a party with them. I would go to McDonald's with them. Now, ladies, I have debated greatly about whether or not I should show you this next picture. The reason is, is I'm going to show you the greatest wedding gown ever made. And once you see it, you may decide you never want to get married because you can never have a wedding gown that looks this good. And I'm afraid that I'm going to destroy your wedding day by showing you this today. The years from now, the scars will still be there saying, my dress wasn't that beautiful. Okay. If that show out there uh, say yes to the dress, I think it is, if they knew about this dress, that show would go off the air. Okay. That's how good this dress is, right? My wife had the greatest wedding dress ever made, right? It was made by a lady in her church who had two sons and no daughters and knew that she could never make a wedding dress for her daughter because she didn't have one. So she made one for her daughter in Christ, my wife. So are you ready? 
girls, you may want to look away, all right? The greatest wedding dress ever made, ever. Is that not a killer train? I mean, it's not even in the whole picture. I mean, we couldn't even get it in the picture, right? They had to put an extension on the aisle in the church so she could just get down the aisle with it. It was, it was a great dress, and she's a great wife, all right? Great dress. Now, why do I show you this other than to ruin your wedding? Okay. Okay. I invited... 40 guys from my, my pilot squadron, I was, flying pi I was flying airplanes in the Air Force at the time. I invited 40 guys to my wedding. Three of them came, and two of them were in the wedding. That means one person out of 40 came to my wedding. And I was befuddled at first, and then I realized, I said, they must not think that I care much about them if they didn't decide to come to one of the biggest days of my life. I must not be in, being much of a friend as a Christian if these guys don't even come to my wedding. And I got convicted that I hadn't really been a very good friend to non-Christians. I thought, i got to change this, right? So I started playing fantasy baseball. And my reason for playing fantasy is, well, yeah, still in the league. We won it four years ago, Kentucky Bluegrass. Very good team. Uh, but I started playing fantasy baseball just so I could hang out with some non-Christians and do something we enjoyed, right? That's why I play. I, I would have quit years ago. Uh, another thing I've learned is I have what's called my most wanted list. There's six guys I pray for every day to come to Christ. Right? Jimmy, Nick, Howard, Mike, Clark, Joachim. Six guys I pray for every day. One of them has come to Christ, Joachim. The other five, as far as I know, are still holdouts. Okay? But I pray for them every day. They know that I am their friend regardless of whether or not they ever become Christians. Okay? I'm not their friend so they'll become a Christian. I'm their friend because I love them and care about them. I want them to become Christians. And I tr intentionally spend time with them. All right? But even if they never become Christians, I'm going to be their friend and love them and care about them just like God loves them and cares about them. So, uh, one of the guys I pray for is right here, my point guard. This is me in high school, Connor High School. You'll know that's the premier high school in Northern Kentucky, if you're from around here, right? That's our gym. This is my senior year of high school. I'm number 24. I'm shooting the jump shot. Uh, that's against Bracken County. But number 20 is my point guard, Mike Chitwood, okay? <clears throat> I've shared the gospel with Mike uh, on a couple of occasions, He's never really been that interested. It's been 40 years since we graduated. But then Mike almost died a couple years ago. And suddenly Mike is more interested in the gospel now than he used to be. 
And just before Christmas, Mike's dad died. And I was one of the first people contacted to say, would you pray for me and my family? Okay. Be a friend to people who don't know the Lord and really love them and care about them. It will make a difference. Uh, I, I encourage you to learn a technique. Um, I think uh, there's the Romans Road as a way to share the gospel. I think you guys went over the three circles a couple years ago. I've used that. That's a good one. But make sure you know your testimony. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I, I shared my testimony with Clark, one of the guys I've been praying for. I told him what my life was like before I met Jesus, how I met Jesus, and what's happened since then. I just said to him, I said, Clark, can I share my story with you? And he said, okay. And I shared it. And he goes, thank you. That was it. <laughs> right? uh, Bill Bright, the guy who found a campus crusade for Christ in UCLA, that I showed you his picture earlier. I love his definition of evangelism. Sharing the good news about Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, and leaving the results to God. There, um, you can't make anyone accept Christ. They have to decide it on them. All you can do is share the good news, give them the letter. They choose to open it or not. That's their choice. If they reject it, it feels like they're rejecting you, but they're not. They're rejecting God. But they may change their mind later, right? And there's something called the pain line. Let me tell you about the pain line real quick. All right? The pain line is where we feel like we ought to talk to someone about spiritual things, but there's this awkwardness. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know if I want to do this, right? This just happened with me with Clark a few weeks ago at Frisch's. I told my wife, I said, pray for me. I want to share my testimony with Clark. We were at Frisch's one hour, and I'm like, okay, now's the time. I didn't do it, didn't do it, didn't do it. We were there two hours. Now's the time. I didn't do it, didn't do it, didn't do it. We're there three hours. Oh, I, I should share my testimony, but I'm afraid. Uh, three hours. We've been in the booth. Three hours. My Clark goes, well, I got to get going. I said, Clark, before you leave, can I share my story with you? And he goes, okay. And I started sharing my testimony, and after about 15 seconds, it was very natural. It was very comfortable. For about 15 seconds, it wasn't comfortable. But then once you go through the pain line, it was very comfortable. We had a nice chat for 20 minutes. He said, thank you for sharing your story. I said, okay. okay. So if you feel like that sometimes, it's like, I think I should say something, but I don't want to. It's very natural, very normal. But walk through the pain line. Guys, it's like this. It's like asking a girl out. It's like, oh, I should ask her out, I should ask her out, I should ask her out. But she might say no, she might say no, I should ask her out, I should ask her out. That happened to me in Lubbock, Texas once. It took me like three hours to get my nerve up to call this girl, right? I called her, finally got it out. Would you like to go out? She said no! <laughs> okay, well, have a good day. Bye. For about two minutes, I walked around the house. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she said no. And I said, wait a minute. I'm still alive. I'm breathing. I still have a roof over my head. There's still food in my refrigerator. 
I still have a job. I get to go to pilot training tomorrow. Oh, wow, I survived. She said no, and I'm still alive, right? It's like that with the gospel. When you share, somebody might say no, but you're still alive. It's okay, right? Uh, remember, others are not as okay, chill, fulfilled, content as they may appear. You might look at your friends who don't know Christ, and you might think, well, they seem fine. They seem like they got it all together. They don't really need the gospel. Uh, a lot of times you don't know what's going on inside. Kara, she was a girl in high school with me, lead in the senior play, field commander for the band. I thought she had it all together in high school, right? She told me years later, she goes, oh, I was so miserable in high school. I'm like, really? She goes, oh, yeah, I didn't feel like I had any friends. I'm like, you're a field commander. You were like <laughs> leading the senior play. She goes, oh, no. I was... So we, we think other people have it all together, right? Nick Saban just won national championship number seven, right? This is a quote after one of his first championships. He's looking at his coaching staff. He goes, a couple days after they won the national championship, he goes, anybody else think they'd be feeling different now than they are? He goes, because it isn't what I thought it would be. He'd worked all these years to be a national champion, and then it was like, oh, this is it? So people out there, you may not think they really have any needs, but down below they do, okay? A couple of my quote-unquote success stories. Um, Billy Tommy was my cousin. He came to visit us in Alaska. He went to youth camp with me, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. And his life now, 40 years later, and his sister's life, who totally walked away from the Lord, is completely different. Completely different. Uh, Jeff Wesley is a friend of mine that uh, we knew each other for years. And one night I said, hey, would you like to go to a Josh McDowell film with me? And he goes, okay, I don't know what that is, but I'll go with you. <laughs> and he went with me. And a couple months later, he accepted Christ. And I just talked to him last night because last night... Uh, this is the 30th anniversary of the first Gulf War. And my friend Jeff fought in the first Gulf War, so I just called to thank him. But he knows the Lord. He loves the Lord. Uh, Lance Sadler, I told him about Christ just before I left Spokane, Washington. And he said, thank you. <laughs> and he didn't accept it. A couple years later, I had this friend call me. He goes, you know Lance Sadler? I said, yeah. She goes, you know, he's a lawyer in Spokane now, and uh, he's a Christian, and I ran into him, and he told me you were one of the first people to ever share the gospel with him. I was like, well, he didn't accept it when I did, so he goes, well, he accepted it later. <laughs> Sometimes, folks, when they reject you, you don't know what's going to happen down the road, right? Um, he came to Christ later. Kurt Driscoll, I shared the gospel with him on Father's Day in 1988. At the end of me sharing the gospel, he goes, you know who needs this? Kevin Corda. I said, well, Kurt, I said, actually, we all need it. He goes, okay, thanks. Nine years later, nine years later, he calls me. <laughs> He's living in L.A. He found me in Seattle. He goes, hey. And he accepted Christ as his Savior nine years later. You never know. Jimmy, Mike, and Clark. shared the gospel with Mike. 
and yet he hasn't accepted Christ yet. I've shared the gospel with Clark. He hasn't accepted Christ yet. But that's a success story because I shared the gospel. It's successful even if you don't, if they don't respond because you shared the gospel. The last one is Jimmy. You guys know where this Bob Evans is by Walmart? I've known Jimmy for about four or five years. Jimmy's been having nightmares the last few weeks. Can't sleep. He's miserable. He met me at Bob Evans a week ago Friday. He goes, Daryl, I can't keep living like this. I got to do something different. I shared the gospel with him. He's still holding out. But I'm praying for him. There's something as humans, we don't want to surrender to God. We want to hold out. We want to be our own boss. Just keep sharing the gospel. Leave the results in God's hands. And with that, uh, I want to pray for you guys. Thanks, God, for dying on the cross for us. And I pray for anybody in this room who's never accepted you as their Lord and Savior that they would. And I pray for my friends Jimmy and Mike and Clark. I pray that they will accept Christ. And I just pray that you would give us courage to share the good news and leave the results in your hands. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Daryl, again. Let's thank Daryl for coming and um, appreciate his perspective. When uh, I was thinking about the, the theme for this weekend, Daryl came to my mind because um, when we came here in 2015, in the fall, one of the uh, first encounters I remember with Calvary Baptist members was with Daryl. And uh, I remarked to myself after, and I made, well, I made note of it. I wasn't talking out loud, I don't think. But I said, man, that guy actually uh, really listens well. And uh, I've noticed, you know, if you, if you look at, when, after a service is over at Calvary, Daryl is always making a beeline for some visitor or somebody that he has in mind to talk to. And that, that to me, is church. Uh, it's, the, it's the reason we should be going is to, to uh, as uh, Philippians says, to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so... I wanted him to come and talk about that because uh, he lives it. He just doesn't just teach it. So thank you, Daryl, for doing that and coming and showing us how to do that.